First of all, it's just good to be in this chapel together and on this stage and with these friends and colleagues here. And again, even in this moment, something that for the past year and a half, we, we really couldn't do, right? Not with the, the bulk of our campus community here together due to COVID. And so it's good to be here and be able to have these conversations. Today, I hope uh, in 30 minutes or so that we leave this room more encouraged about what is God is doing for the nations here, more inspired and motivated to be a part of that work personally, and more positioned institutionally, collectively, to lean into that global work God is doing. Uh, to do that, or to, to positions for that, I want to give a few words on the front end here, and then I'll, I'll shift to a personal introduction here of the Allens, because they're part of that story. And, and then we'll just see where God takes us in this conversation. For me, over the past five years or so, it's been an increasing awareness of, and really longing for God to do a deepening work here in this place for the Great Commission. Uh, I'm in my 10th year, about to start my 10th year, and, and from day one, we've talked a lot about for the church, and rightfully so. We've also sought to, to say consistently that to be for the church is to be for the nations, because missions is about winning people for Christ and incorporating them into established, planted, and established churches overseas. So those visions aren't in conflict, but we have to make sure that as we're talking about for the church, we're always speaking not just domestically, but internationally. But still praying that, that God would do a deepening work here over the past several years. That, that, that prayer has also been um, accompanied by the fact that as I look across the horizon, the landscape, in the broader evangelical world, and even in our Southern Baptist Convention, it, it seems as though that we are in something of a low ebb as it relates to a, a Great Commission awareness, uh, a Great Commission zeal. Many of us came to age in ministry you know, 20 years ago, give or take, when uh, John Piper was challenging a generation to, to go and die and to not waste your life you know, collecting seashells. Many of us heard that call and it resonated within us. And many of us, you know, 10 years or so, give or take, were, were challenged by our friend David Platt, challenging us to do radical things for Christ and to go to the nations. And it, it just has felt like that, that in recent years, we haven't had like this, this, this voice or this stirring, this probing of the conscience in the evangelical world and within our Southern Baptist Convention as, as we would like. Now, I'll get to the punchline here, okay? But I'm going to back up and, and put some more filler in. The punchline is I'm praying that God would use this institution program known as Fusion, uh, the personnel on this stage in addition to personnel on this stage, and then new initiatives that I'll foreshadow a touch here momentarily, that this will be the place that in the 2020s is championing a Great Commission vision, that God is pleased to do in this place and from this place an awakening work, a, a, a reminding work to the churches that we are to be about the Great Commission, that we are to be about the noble, urgent task of, of winning every people group for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I mentioned that stirring that's been taking place and that sense of praying God would do a deepening work. Uh, conversation I've had with our provost, Dr. Dusing. Everyone knows he's an academic, but also part of his story is a, a real heart for the nations. And even in early years in ministry and in more recent years of ministry, praying through what's God's calling for his life to be domestic or to be overseas in, a, in an international missions context. And perhaps Dr. Dusing will say a word of that a little later. Then a couple years ago, God calls Dr. Jason DeRoshi here. And of course, everyone knows Dr. DeRoshi is more, more than just an Old Testament scholar, as though you know, we should put the word just in front of that. But um, a man who has a, a, a profound heart for the nations and overseas, uh, goes overseas multiple times a year, especially in uh, the region of Africa, and just has a, a pulsating heart for the nations. And so you see this, these pieces coming together. Also, the past several years, Dr. Robin Hadaway, who has taught here for so faithfully, uh, stepped 
excuse me, into the senior professor and also the pastor of years has written a number of very helpful, instructive books. This further field, the sense of awakening here, which has been a very helpful contribution. And, and, then, uh, and then as we began to look over the course of the past year towards, towards um, who would come in and, and fill this, this professorship we needed and wanted, you know, by God's grace, not just a, a person, but hopefully a family, a team that embody that, a, a family that have been on the mission field for an extended period of time that have, have lived it, not just taught it, but lived it. Uh, a, a couple who, who radiated joy in Christ and a love for the gospel and a love for the nations. And so there was an infectious aspect to their life and work. And, and by God's grace, we believe that he's given us and uh, this dear couple to my right. Overlaid all of this has been a prayer and a desire that, that again, even here by way of uh, institutional programming, by way of, of, of what we actually do on the campus, by way of institutional instruction, that, that God would make available for us to do something new and, uh, and deepening on the missions front from a programmatic standpoint. Now, I'll, I'll kind of let you peek behind the veil a little bit here at this point and say that um, our fusion program, which is so strong and, and just a remarkable work God has done over the past 15 years through it, uh, is largely underwritten by one couple who have just been dramatically generous over the years to underwrite the fusion program. Um, I have been praying that God would give us the funding to do something similar to fusion at the, at the master's level, at the MDiv level, and uh, something that had a similar commitment of, of focus training, of cohort type training, uh, of an extended service taking place internationally as a part of that, much like fusion. And praying that God would, would raise up someone or some couple who would, who would underwrite it, much like he's raised up this, this other couple to underwrite the fusion program. Well, little did I know that it actually would be, would be the same couple that God put in their heart to underwrite both. And uh, back earlier this spring, I was in a, a meeting with, with that couple, and they, they brought up to me, they said, look, we believe God is you know, calling us to do more, and, and, and is there a need here, an opportunity to do more? And uh, I began to talk in elementary terms with them then briefly about some of the possibilities. And then this summer, we were able to connect for a more, a more thorough conversation. And over dinner, um, conversationally over dinner, they were just moved to say, over dinner, Dr. Allen, uh, we're committing tonight to doubling our giving so you can do it at the master's level, similar to what this marriage is doing at the fusion level. So I look at all these different things, frankly, and um, I, I, I know this is a tired phrase, but I do believe it's something of a, of a kairos moment or a kairotic moment where it seems like different things are coming together, both at the student level of drawing fusion students over the years and at the institutional level of faculty and staff and key additions who have a heart, at, at the development level of God putting on the heart of donors to step up. And then as we are imagining now and refining a plan to build something very special at the master's level that we'll be able to announce in more concrete terms, uh, here in, in the weeks and, and, and months ahead. So all of that seems to be coming together in a way that for me is breaking me just, just frankly, uh, not just ambitious for the nations, but overjoyed and full of anticipation is what I believe God is going to do here. Now, central to all of this is this couple to my right. And at this point, I want, to, I want to position you guys for kind of an extended word of introduction Dr. Allen and uh, Mrs. Allen uh, for an extended word of introduction here. And I want not only to hear the nuts and bolts of, of, of Claire and, and Joe and their ages, but and, you know, kind of the typical family touch points that won't expect we introduce new, new people. But, but I hope to tee you up to talk some about y'all's experience overseas. 
both as young men and women, boys and girls perhaps even, as far as that desire for missions taking place, and then building up through your young adulthood into your family life and into recent years of having served overseas for roughly 15 years. So, so Dr. Allen, I don't know how far back you want to go by way of personal biography, and, and, and Mrs. Allen, you either, but I want you to go back as far back as you feel it's helpful to frame up how God made you who you are, why you're here today, both by way of calling to come here, the circumstances God worked to actually draw you off the field and how in a very real sense, you know, your, your hearts are still on the field. And so let us know a little bit the story of Joe and Christy Allen. Well, uh, when I was in high school, art was my idol. And I dreamt of going to a summer art school in, in Louisville, Kentucky, paid for by the state of Kentucky, um, and I didn't get it. And so I started looking for another way to spend my summer. And someone, actually a PhD student at Southern Seminary, invited me to go on a short-term trip to the Philippines. Then I got a call from the art school. They said, you were the first alternate and somebody dropped out, you're in. I got a call from the PhD student. He said, Joe, I need your $300 deposit in by Monday. This was on a Friday. And I said, Jimmy, I can't go. I got accepted to the art school. I'll never forget what he said. He said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Click. That's back in the days when you hung up like right, that. Right, right, right. <laughs> and back in the days when $300 was like 3000 yeah, That's right. <laughs> that conversation sent me into this turmoil, inner turmoil, wrestling with God. What am I going to do? Am I going to go to the art school, fulfill what I thought was my dream, or obey this call that I felt tugging at my heart. And I'm so glad I decided to go to the Philippines. I went over there. I realized this is why I was born. I was born to preach the gospel. I know why I exist. I know why I'm on planet Earth. It was also on that trip I met the girl I would later marry. So that had a huge turning, that was a huge turning point in my life. Went to the University of Georgia. We kept going on summer mission trips. <laughs> Go dogs. And we get, got to know each other better and better. We fell in love. Got married in 2003. Um, I started my studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. She was finishing her final year of her THM. And then when I graduated, by that point, we had our daughter, Claire. She was one years old. And we went to Bangladesh. And uh, that is where we served for two terms with the IMB. Then we moved across the border to India, to Calcutta. And uh, same language group, same people group, different religious group. So we had been working in a rural Muslim context. And then we found ourselves in an urban Hindu context. Um, our son, Joe, he was born in Bangkok, Thailand, uh, while we were serving in Bangladesh, but we went there for the delivery. And, uh, and then about a year ago, we came back to the States and we're delighted to be here. As a footnote, the Jimmy that is referenced here is Dr. Jimmy Scroggins, who pastors now at uh, Family Church, also known as First Baptist Church, West Palm Beach, Florida. And I called Jimmy for reference <clears throat> on Dr. Allen, uh, as, uh, as one ought to do. And as Jimmy was just gloating and glowing about the two of you, 
he, uh, I asked him, one of the questions I asked him, I said, well, what kind of preacher is, is, is Joe? And he said, uh, he said, he said, well, I've seen him preach many times overseas internationally. And he said, I'll tell you, Jason, um, the settings he was in, he said, yes, he's, he's a gifted preacher. But I say this without hyperbole. I was more impressed that he was preaching in those places than how he was preaching. And I said, unpack that for me. And he began to talk about in ways I know you would be comfortable doing about some of the personal hardships and uh, difficult context that you guys put yourself in the middle of for the cause of Christ overseas. And he, I'll never forget that line at Ryan Mayer. I was just so impressed that he was preaching so much more than I was even struck by how he was preaching. Christy, weave your story into, into this story. <laughs> Absolutely. So I came to Christ as a, a young girl, and at the age of nine, uh, my parents felt called to move our family and go to the Philippines. My dad had been a pastor, and uh, not he... Panama City, the <laughs> Philippines. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so, as a nine-year-old little girl, um, I have a lot of vivid memories moving to the Philippines, and as very impacted by my time there. So I was there from ages nine to 14. And when we came, when I came back to the States at the age of 14, um, ironically for, for medical reasons and such um, as well, uh, I just remember as a teenager having to process and think through my experience overseas and what was I going to do and how was I going to move forward based on what I had experienced. And honestly, the experiences um, as an as a MK in the Philippines were hard. I mean, we went through some tough stuff. Um, my, my mother almost died. My brother almost died. My sister had scoliosis. We had people steal from us. We had um, all kinds of different challenges. But when I think back over that time um, overseas as a kid, my overarching memories are of God coming through for us. He saved my mom's life. He saved my brother's life. He healed my sister from scoliosis. He provided for us in really extraordinary ways and even very personal ways for me as a kid, things that I had prayed for as a kid. God answered those prayers, and I thought, why would I not do whatever this God told me to do with my life? Why would I not just offer my life as a blank slate for him? And so that's what I did at the age of 14. And then as I continued to do ministry and try different kinds of ministry and continue to go overseas, I eventually figured out that my passion was teaching women. And I love teaching the Bible to women. And so then I thought, well, I better, I better be more equipped for this. And that led me to seminary. And even at that point, I was willing to go overseas. I just didn't know what God's plan was. And then when um, God connected Joe and I together. So let me um, interrupt you. Yes. Joe's looking. Yes. Joe's liking. Yes. You're looking. What are you seeing in Joe by way of calling, passion's heart that makes you think? Because you have this sense of God's put a burden in your heart for the nations. Yeah. You were there as a kid, uh, yeah. being trained perhaps to go back. That's a precious thing to steward, right? And, 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 and you, if you marry this young man, pursue him, that, that, that sense of calling, that stewardship is coming together. What were you seeing in, 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 in this Dr. Allen at that point in time um, for, for you to, to say, yes, this, this, this calling is, will be well stewarded to be linked up with him? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, interestingly, in our story, we met um, pretty young, but it wasn't, it wasn't until our fourth mission trip that it clicked. And our fifth mission trip, he proposed to me in the Philippines, actually. Um, but 
I think, you know, so I had already started seminary at this point when, when it finally clicked for, for both of us. Um, and in God's providence, we actually were able to, to be really close friends. I think <laughs> it's not the only reason to go on a mission trip, but I will say it's a wonderful opportunity to really see people's true colors. I mean, because you right. can't you can't hide like you, a normal dating relationship. So you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see the sweaty. You see all of the, the character in a person in that context. And so seeing him over the course of multiple years serving and the way his in his heart for the Lord, I mean, we, we had so many theological discussions on jeepney rides. And, you know, we by the time we finally started dating, um, it, you know, he's, <laughs> one of his first thing, statements to me after we started dating was, I, I, um, I'd really like to impress you, but you know me too well. <laughs> um, and so it was just really cool how God wove our hearts during that season. And even going to seminary before we'd even started dating and I was praying about marriage and just really wanting um, God to, to, you know, provide the right person if he wanted to be, me to be married. One of my prayers as a single was, Lord, I only want to be married if it's going to be, you know, further the kingdom more by us being together. And so it was, I just, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know if it ever would ever be clear for those of you who are single and you're at wrestling through those questions. I didn't know if it ever would be clear, but I really feel like God answered that prayer and made it super clear that this was the man for me. And even more than my calling overseas, I felt called to this man. And so when uh, we, we got married and we had this little tiny apartment in, um, in this, in, at seminary, across the street from the seminary, and we had this big map on our wall and we were praying about all of our options and praying through. And I, you know, I'm from the South, um, so y'all are going to have to help me um, figure out how to stay warm here. But um, we were <laughs> I'm like, still trying Whoa. to figure it out, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't go to Russia and, you know, some of the colder places. Um, anyway, but eventually we narrowed it down to South Asia because we felt like just learning more about South Asia, that it has the greatest number of the greatest uh, number of lostness with the fewest number of missionaries. And so um, I think when God knitted our hearts together, I thought, you know, I know he has a passion for the nation. I have a, a willingness to go and do whatever God wants me to do. Why not me? And it wasn't even for me the, the um, you know, issue about going overseas wasn't necessarily like I love these people because I'd never really spent time with those people. But it was really a by faith thing to say, God, if you're calling me to these people, then you're going to also give me a love. And in his you know, in his grace, he did provide that for us. And so you were overseas for about five years as a kid. And then you guys as a family overseas for, was it right at 15 years? Yeah, just, just shy of 15. Yeah, yeah. So that, again, that's not like a mission trip. Right. That's not like a semester overseas. I mean, that's almost a generation. And, um, and then God called you all back here and, uh, and then here to Kansas City. I want to draw Dr. Deucing in the conversation. I appreciate the two of you color coordinating, by the way, the green and the green tie. <laughs> the, uh, Dr. Deucing, I want to, uh, want to tee you up in two ways. First of all, most of us here know you as a scholar or as an academic administrator, but there's a third, you know, real component to, to, your, to your calling, your ministry that is a heart for overseas. So I'd love for you to say a word or two about that. And then I would also um, love for you to say a word or two just about the Allens as we were getting to know them and talking about them coming here, what you saw in them that, that made you, like me, excited about God's calling them here. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot I could say. So, and as you know, and many of you know, I don't have the gift of abundance of words. So I will be, I will have no trouble being concise, but you can pull more out of me if you'd like. Um, 
Uh, but I came to Christ as a freshman in college in, Tex in Texas and just had wonderful disciples, primarily through the local church that I found, uh, Southern Baptist Church. And what I mean by wonderful disciples is they, I never knew there was a, that a lot of Christians have a gap between coming to Christ and then, oh, later finding out you're supposed to share your faith. And then also there's this whole world that we should be concerned about. The people who mentored and discipled me from the beginning were just pointing me toward understanding the gospel and then sharing it on, in my dorm. I remember my uh, college uh, pastor said, when I was in the dorm, here's a piece of paper I used. I charted every dorm room and who lived in each dorm room, praying for them. And then occasionally I would just go, go by and check on each one and try to find ways to share the gospel. With every, And then I'd check them off, that type of thing. At the same time, giving me a heart for the nations of the world, just phenomenally ingraining in me that there's a world out there. And early on, too, that was even theological. Not just the Great Commission, but even going back and understanding what God was doing in Abraham in Genesis 12 and how that's explained further in Galatians 3 and Romans 4, that from the beginning, God has had a heart for the nations of the world. His plan has always been to bless the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, so that the nations of the world be blessed. And just connecting those dots and reading the Bible that way. you know. So I just had wonderful training without even knowing it that that's how you're supposed to be oriented. So as I was processing through a call to ministry in college, my first impulses were, well, why would I not be thinking about international missions first rather than staying first? Um, and even went off to seminary still working through those things. And my wife and I processed that. We, Southeastern Seminary, worked through, should we be in the missions program, should we not? And, and, and it was more of approaching, that's the way we're going to head until God redirects us in, in other ways. And longer story there as to even why we redirected to our, the role that we have now. Um, but never really losing that, that passion and conviction for overseas. And for me in particular, what was driving this was, and this may identify with some of you, whether at the college level or at the master's level, is I knew I was supposed to be in seminary. I knew I was preparing for some sort of vocational ministry, but never quite felt like I clicked. All my friends in my classes were dreaming and laying awake at night about sermon preparation and sermon illustrations or, or these types of things. And I love preaching and, of course, love the Bible, growing my love for the Bible. But that I was like, I'm not quite the same as all of you. And, um, and looking back now on 20-something years or whatever, I can even see God preparing for a path that was different than many of my peers. Some of that was an academic ministry, but some of it also was a focus in, in ministry of missions around the world. And it's created in me a, a deep, deep love. Of course, I love pastors in the local church, but I love missionaries, and I love students who are training for missionaries, and I love visiting them on the field. Those called to serve in this way are a unique type of people. If God has wired you a little bit different, it could be because he's creating in you a desire to feel more at home outside the United States than perhaps you do feel inside the United States. And even though I haven't served any career since, I've been on many short-term ministry trips and mission trips and things like this, and invariably I often feel more at home in the diverse cultures of the world than I do. I don't always feel like I fit in even in American so culture. So overseas, you're saying like yeah, you, you never stop talking overseas, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I uh, what, what did you say? I said overseas, you never stop talking. That's right, overseas, I, actually I feel more like I can communicate better with other cultures, then I can even, I always feel a little awkward and out of place here. And, and if that's how you feel, it could be that God's wiring you in, in some ways. Now, part of that I learned is that also God was preparing me for an academic ministry and faculty, for those who are here, will, is a unique people group in and of itself. We are strange individuals and are wired a little bit different way to, to be able to, to do what we do. And some of it was, you know, of course, preparing for that. But I just say that to say that God can match a heart for the nations and use you in a variety of different lanes and avenues 
I think he's primarily mostly concerned about where is our orientation and are we pointing and doing the work that we're doing even here stateside toward helping either mobilize people to or to encourage and to equip. And I just had a lot of great models uh, um, and examples. The last one I'll share is when I was a student at Southeastern, the person who served in my role there, the head of academics, was a guy named um, Russ Bush. Dr. Bush uh, passed away in 2008 uh, from cancer too soon. Uh, but he was just a phenomenal model for me. I remember even just observing him leading academics, but then regularly, regularly, two or three times a year, he was on the field visiting Southeastern mission students, teaching, serving. And I remember it clicked in my mind. I was like, so that's a job. You can invest in theological education, which I was growing to love and just seeing the benefits for, not only for the churches, but for the nations. But then you can also be traveling and seeing and encouraging the work. I was like, that's, you can even do it. But then, so that's the example I had. It was only later that I realized that actually most provosts don't operate that way. <laughs> he was a unique and rare example that God gave me that I was able to sort of even, he blazed a trail that I was like, I think I can, I would want to do it the same way that he did. Yeah. And secondly, yeah. a word about the So um, God in his kindness, I believe, has brought the both of you and the both of you to us. Uh, I, of course, echo the, the journey we've both been on in the last, you for 10 years and me since I've been here thinking through how to continue to revitalize the school and make it stronger so that we can equip people for the nations and praying and thinking through who might come. And the, the timing just worked with Dr. Hathaway's moving into a more retirement position and us finding people. And I've been in some ways searching for the two of you for the entire time I've been here, knowing that Dr. Hathaway's time would be, and some of that's like literal searching, traveling to different affinities, IMB affinities, meeting with IMB leadership, always asking them, you know, when you come across the right person, you know, who, who could be? And at a meeting with um, South Asia Affinity Leadership in January of last year, asking them those same questions, and that's where the name uh, from a, a friend of yours who's now a friend of mine who teaches at another school, saying, well, you should really think about Joe and Christy Allen. And they're in the States now because of COVID, but are thinking through things and all this. And so immediately just sort of working through that and us beginning to have conversations with them, seeing that God really may be paving the way for you all to come. And for all the reasons you've described in terms of your heart and passion, all that God's prepared you to do, and your unique service in South Asia, of which we've had a number of fusion students serving there, uh, but just given that experience and, uh, and then getting to know the both of you. I've, I have, God's given me many opportunities to travel in many places all over the world, meeting with IMB uh, missionary workers and families and to, to really find, and thankfully that we serve in a generation where the IMB is just solid from top to bottom. There hasn't been an affinity I've gone to where I haven't met just the most remarkable people in the world. That always, hasn't always been the case with the IMB. Decades ago, you'd go to different pockets and you, believe it or not, there are people not actually sharing the gospel. And that's wrapped into the larger story of the transformation of the Southern Baptist Convention, returning to a love for the gospel and the Bible. But even just hearing your story and knowing of the, types of the type of ministry you're doing that's gospel-centered and focused on sharing the gospel and leading people to Christ and forming them in groups and leading them to plant churches, that's the core of what you're doing. Of course, it aligns inc incredibly with what the IMB calls the missionary task and, of course, aligns absolutely with what we're trying to do here in training students before the church, for the kingdom as well. So I grew up in a... a Relatively normal Southern Baptist Church, Bible-believing, faithful pastor, uh, abnormal as far as kind of larger, especially for, for that generation of the 80s and into the early 90s. Uh, I was a part of this archaic program as a kid known as Royal Ambassadors. Uh, 
And the shorthand was RAs. And one of the distinctive marks of RAs and then GAs for the girls was it was a missions-based program. We talked about missions all the time. And then a part of that in my church was periodically missionaries would come, like, share on a Wednesday night or Sunday night, sometimes Sunday morning. And I remember as a kid sitting out there, and it all seemed so exotic to me. And the missionary would be there, sometimes they would wear clothing from where they were serving. I have a distinct memory as a kid with someone coming over from, um, from the Far East and, and being and kind of talking through the, the, uh, the alphabet and that Eastern language. And, just, and I'm just like, my mind is blown as an you know, eight-year-old watching all this. And to me, it seems so exotic, so distant, so remote. And my impression was like, to be a missionary, like you're, you're going to go someplace and kind of never be heard from again. And you know, live with a monkey on your head, and and, and you kind of, and kind of like it's, it's a safari lifestyle. And then, of course, I, I grew to understand. Well, no, it's it's actually not like that. And then, given the technological changes since my childhood, I mean, all of this is so very near, so very near. And not only you know, you go overseas and you, you send snail mail and exchange letters every three or four weeks, but but no, you can you can zoom now, you can FaceTime now, and there's a nearness there. I want to ask you guys this question, even with that, as far as the uh, evolution of, of the, the nearness of the international scene. Um, not just like, why did you go? I think we understand theologically, and you guys have shared a bit of your story as to like why you went. I think we get that, that I'm in my 20s, there's a sense of adventure and spiritual zeal. But why did you stay? Uh, Leslie Newbegin has a great phrase, he says, missions begins with an explosion of joy. And, and there is the command, the Great Commission is a command, but Leslie Newbigin says, I think the deepest motive for missions is simply a desire to be where Jesus is, um, and, and where the kingdom of God is confronting, on the, on the frontiers of the kingdom of God, uh, confronting the domain of Satan, the usurped domain of Satan. And so when we first went to Bangladesh, we did have a sense of adventure and it's exciting and you feel like Indiana Jones and, and that kind of thing, but that, that only lasts so long. After about four months, we both hit a wall and we were homesick, you know, the food is starting to wear on you, the sleeping under mosquito nets, all the challenges. Um, but we really believe that well, it's interesting because when we first went there, we thought God sent us to Bangladesh so that Bengalis could know Jesus. But after we'd been there a while, Christy actually said, I realized God sent us to Bangladesh so that we could know him. Hmm. And, and so, you know, I think it is right to honor those who serve faithfully in the ministry. You know, we, we consider people like Amy Carmichael and Jim Elliott, Adonai Judson, these heroes of the faith. But if you were to talk to them, they wouldn't consider themselves heroes. They would say, we're unworthy servants. We're just doing what we're told. They would probably quote something from Luke 17, 10, something along those lines. But what kept us on the field was we know we're where we're supposed to be. And every time somebody came to faith, it's another shot in the arm. Yes, keep going, keep pressing on. Um, when we see lives transformed, in August, Christy and I got to go back to Calcutta. We had to close down our apartment, and, um, and we got the chance to tie up some loose ends because in 2020, we had to leave sort of suddenly because of COVID. 
Christy got to do an eight hours uh, women's training. I got to meet some of the disciples I had met. One of the young men that I had spent a lot of time discipling, I call him one of my Timothys. I asked him, I said, have you been able to feed yourself spiritually over the past year? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, how? How have you been feeding yourself spiritually? And he said, well, for one, I memorized everything you told me to memorize. And I thought, well, that's great, but I totally forgot what I told you to memorize. <laughs> he said, James, Ephesians, 2 Peter, 2 Timothy, and Galatians. Wow. And I was blown away. And you should see the change in this young man. He used to be in, involved in the occult. He was involved in transcendental meditation, all kinds of new age Hindu philosophy. And when he got saved, he, I mean, he was a fearful, timid young man. When he got saved, uh, uh, he got free from all this oppressive darkness that was in his life. And, and now he's confident, joyful, bold. He just told his parents recently that, that he got baptized. And two days later, his grandmother asked him to share the gospel with her. It's, it's one of the things that sustained us was seeing lives transformed. It's awesome. Amen. I highly recommend it. Amen. Now, Christy, it's not a concentration camp. You weren't chained you know, to the doorpost. Uh, you're there as, as a team. And uh, look, there are times when, when one of the spouses feel a sense of calling, they're committed, but the other just, just wears out. But you guys were there together, and so we've heard kind of Joe's side. I'm, I'm sure that's similar to your side, but, but what, what, what kept you there? Why did you stay and partner and serve for 15 years? Um, I really think it comes down, for me, to the love of God. And um, several years into my um, time overseas, after my son was born, I had to have emergency surgery, and I needed a specific kind of surgery. Um, and it wasn't available anywhere in Bangladesh. And uh, we were crying out to the Lord. And so we felt led to go to this missionary hospital in the sticks of Bangladesh. And um, long story short, they happened to have the specialized equipment needed to do this surgery for me. And I remember walking down that road that day. And I said, God, you love me. In the middle of the sticks of Bangladesh, you knew what I needed, and you took care of me. And that was the beginning of many, many challenges that we experienced. But the thing that I think allows you to push through the hard stuff is knowing that he loves me, and he never lets his kids go through hard things without a purpose. And he wrote on my heart the message, I will never waste pain. God will never waste pain that's offered to him. Um, and so he really, he really worked through the pain, and I went through a lot of physical challenges even after that, but I never doubted the love of God because I knew he loved me, and he, he was going to be with me. And yes, there were so many challenges, so many hard experiences that we went through, but I think my, my uh, you know, I think when you're full of the love of God— it's, it's an overflow, and, and it's also, it also makes you want to obey him because you know his heart for you is good and his plans for you are good. Uh, whether it's going to halfway around the world or whether it's 
whether it's going to Kansas City. Um, his plans for you are good, and, and, and trusting his heart has been, um, has been something I learned in, on the mission field, but also that sustained me um, while living there. Thank you. That's very touching. Time has just about expired here, but, but I want to ask you one final question, and that is just the what. I mean, you're here, you've relocated your family, you guys are settling in Kansas City. Um, what are you hoping God will do through you guys here in the years ahead? I see potential in this room. I see excitement. I sense eagerness. I just feel that there are um, people in this room that are going to lay down their life for Christ. And that is a weighty thing. That's a serious thing, but it's worth it. We serve a great God and Jesus is worth it. He, he's worth living for. He's worth dying for. Um, worth leaving Kansas City barbecue for, if it comes to that. Um, so I hope that there are men and women in this room who unreservedly, without hesitation, live for Jesus, wherever that is, whether that's at home or abroad. And uh, I know the faculty and, and the administration is 100% supportive of helping them accomplish that. Amen.